0: Merry Christmas. Our passage for this morning is similar to the passage that has been there for the last three weeks. <laughs> so you probably probably just your Bible, just probably flop open to Isaiah nine. So if you would flop it open, <clears throat> and if you would stand with me for the reading of your word, reading of the word. Isaiah chapter nine, verses one through seven. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as with men who rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in battle tumult, the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence, our hearts are bowed. We indeed acknowledge that you are the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal Father, the Prince of Peace, and we are your people. Father, we celebrate the birth of Christ, for the manger held the promise of the cross, and the cross the promise of our salvation. We celebrate not just a baby, but the sinless life, a death, and the resurrection that purchased eternity. Thank you, Father. We do ask in accordance with your word to provide our daily bread. We pray for healing. There's several in our congregation. Father, Just uh, this is a very real request. We pray for healing. In our hearts and in our, in our bodies. We pray that we be strong in you and faithful in the places that you have called us, not the least of which is within our own congregation. And Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for revival in response to the turmoil. We pray for wisdom in response to the delusion. And Father, in special, special, Request, Lord, we just, we just pray for joy and peace in every household here. That as we go into other places, Lord, that we carry the fragrance of Christ and the testimony of, of being your people. So Lord, as our pastor comes, Lord, to teach us, we just ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, that in a fresh way we would see Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Thanks, brother. Well, good morning, IBC family. I know that some of our church family has launched out of here because that is kind of the season that we are in right now, but I know that some of you have... Uh, returned home, in a sense, and are joining us this morning. Uh, you may not have been following uh, what we've been doing this past month during the Advent season, but just to give you just a, a super brief uh, idea or context from where we have come, if you, especially if you're new with us or have recently returned, first of all, I just want you to know that we've been going through an Advent series, and if you don't know what Advent means, Advent means arrival. We are celebrating arrival. And of course, it always begs the question, the arrival of what or the arrival of whom? And in this case, it's the arrival of whom that is Jesus the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the one that was promised by God the Father since Genesis chapter 3 and then Foretold by many prophets, including the prophet Isaiah. And so, we on the, the redemptive scheme or plan are looking backwards and able to celebrate as much as others were able to celebrate prior to the fulfillment of promise. But all of the while, we are here to celebrate the arrival of the Messiah, King Jesus, the Savior of the world. And we and you might also ask the question, or maybe you're wondering to yourself, or you might already even think you know. But when we ask about what who is this person, Jesus, and what makes him so special, yes, he is the Savior of the world. Yes, he, he is the promised one of God the Father. But Isaiah the prophet tells us that he is unique. He's not just one of many boys born in history past, but he is wonderful counselor. That this Jesus, this long-awaited Messiah is mighty, mighty God. That he is everlasting Father. And as we will dive into a little more deeply this morning, he is also Prince of Peace. You know, if you were to survey uh, other peoples or ethnic groups around the world uh there are all kinds of ideas or definitions and understandings of this word peace for example if you were to uh understand what the zakapolaxna I think that's how you say it, of Mexico. There's the people of Mexico. I just did a little quick survey of different cultures around the world. Uh, their understanding of peace or their, uh, the way they would define peace is by way of completeness. So peace in their language and understanding is completeness. There's another people group in Liberia. Speaking of our brothers in Liberia, uh, one of the people groups in Liberia is the... the, the I'm going to say it wrong. I even practiced. But then, of course, when you're up here, it doesn't always come out in the same way. The Gabapo. Is that right, Anthony? Close enough anyways? No one's going to understand anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but there's a certain people group in Liberia. There's many tribes in Liberia, as in all parts of the world. But their understanding or definition of peace means my heart sits down. My heart sits down. There's another uh, people group off, the, off of the Ivory Coast, the Baule people. Their understanding or definition of peace is a song in my body. A song in my body. Or we get the Piro tribe of Peru. Their definition of peace, and I love this, it says, Peace is the well-arranged soul. Peace is the well-arranged soul. Even in ancient Rome, right, they had a word for peace, and it was called Pax, Pax Romana, right? The peace of Rome. Rome is bringing about peace, and Pax, to, at least according to ancient Rome, was really a, uh, the absence of war or uh, an agreeable agreement or more generally just tranquility and prosperity on an individual level. That's how the ancient Romans understood peace. In Arabic, the word for peace is salam. And salam means wholeness or safety or good intention. And it is always combined with the ideas of development and creation of a society. In fact, peace is the starting point point for making something better. That's how, in the Arabic language, they understand the word peace or salam. The Hebrew word for peace, as many of us in here might know or recognize, is called shalom. Peace in Hebrew is called shalom, and shalom means well-being. It means happiness. It means health. It means safety. It means security. It means prosperity. And more than just the absence of conflict, we see that shalom describes a fullness of safety and completeness, it's a wholeness. It's a universal flourishing of sorts, and it is this kind of peace that is ascribed to the one who is promised in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. That Jesus is the Prince of Peace, or in Hebrew, Jesus is the Sar Shalom. The Sar Shalom. Sar means head person. This word for sar, the very first part means head person, or captain, or governor, or ruler, or prince. In other words, it would be the, the, the boss, right? The head honcho. It's the man in charge. It's the person in charge. And that word sar is actually, there's many derivatives of that Hebrew word sar. For example, in ancient Rome, they had the word sar, or short for Caesar, right? Sar, Caesar, ruler, prince, head. And Russian's head of state is called, they have a, a, a person called the czar. Anybody who's put in tr- or entrusted with the responsibility over one, a particular task. Even in the U.S., the term Tsar has been used since the 1930s to, uh, to refer to appointed executive branches or officials. And so the point, this czar, czar shalom refers to the one who was promised, the one sent by God. And Isaiah is telling us that this one sent by God is the Sar Shalom, meaning that Jesus is the governor of completeness, that Jesus is the governor and ruler of well-being, that he is the captain of our wholeness and our happiness, that he's the ruler of our safety and our peace. question, however, is... What does that mean specifically to you and me? You know, the angels are declaring, this is who has come. This is the one who is coming. And Isaiah the prophet is saying, in 700 years, this is what will be fulfilled. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. What does that mean? What is the significance for our lives? Well, one important aspect one important meaning or significant implication for our life is this it means that Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ we now have peace with God the fact that Jesus comes as the sar shalom or the prince of peace it means that you and I through Christ can now have an experience peace with God. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5.1, a verse, again, that might be very familiar to us, right? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 and 17, for he himself, that is Jesus, for Jesus himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down, his, broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Or consider what the angels proclaimed to the shepherds, right? In Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. You see, the point is, brothers and sisters, is this. The world began in a state of shalom. When you look at Genesis chapter 1, and when God says everything is good, and he even created the human race and said it was very good, everything began in a state of shalom. A a state in understanding and experience of wholeness and completeness, full of joy, satisfied. There was no need Everything was provided for. There was no need for a military. Everything was secure and safe. Everything was perfect. And you know the story. Sin changed everything. Because sin entered God's good shalom, it negatively affected everything that God had created. Especially the human race, and one of the most devastating effects of sin that took place was not that all of god 's creation was affected negatively in some way, but it was that it was this that that relationship that existed between God and humanity was now severed. You see what it means to be human by the very definition of human is to be in relationship with God. To be human is to be in relationship with God. And so to not be in relationship with God means to, in a sense, it dehumanizes us. And therefore sin has been in the process of dehumanizing us, and God is in the process, through his son Jesus Christ, to rehumanize us, to restore us, and to to mend that which was torn apart to bring back together what was severed because of sin, Jesus restores that shalom and reconciles that relationship with God by his death and by his resurrection. Jesus is our Sar Shalom. He is our Prince of Peace. Not only is Jesus our Tsar Shalom and not only does Jesus bring about peace with God, But we see that because Jesus is our Sar Shalom, that means we can now have peace with one another. Yes, what Jesus provides is peace with you and me, with one another. In Isaiah chapter 9, again, as I've been doing all throughout this series, I've been trying to unpack some of the the details that Isaiah gives to us in Isaiah chapter 9, and of course, even as I looked at last week, there are all kinds of names given, and there's details given, and in our kind of 21st century Western context, we don't really have a context to understand it, and so it's easy to gloss over It's easy to just jump over things that seem confusing, dismiss them, but there's actually great significance and meaning. So when you look at verse 5, for example, in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah says this, The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. What is Isaiah referring to? What, what, What is he promising? What is the good news and hope that Isaiah brings to us in saying these kind of, I don't not so Western terms. What he's getting at is this. While there is enmity and strife and war and calamity that defines our current state of affairs in our world. The promise is that one day there will be no more need for warriors to wear boots and uniforms. Those garments will only be good for fueling fires. There's no more need for uniforms and, 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 and instruments and tools of war because those things are now pointless. Can you imagine a world and a reality where a military is no longer needed? Listen to what Isaiah promises in chapter 11, just 2 chapters later. He says the lion will lay with the lamb and the child will play with a cobra. Meaning that Jesus will usher in a reality where there is no more fear of threat or danger. There's no more relational strife, disunity and fighting and discord will be a thing of the past. Wow. Can you imagine? For some of us, maybe we couldn't even fathom this idea where there's complete relational unity and harmony. And yet, this is what Jesus promises, not only at the inauguration of his coming, but what his kingdom and rule will establish forevermore. And this is not just, a, rea- this is not just a, a reality to anticipate in the future one day. Like, oh, one day it's going to be great. One day I can have that peace relationally. One day I can be at peace with one another. No, this is a gift that is available for you today. This is a gift that is made available for you today because Jesus has come. A reconciling and healing peace has already been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And so it's not a matter of, is this available or is this possible? It's a matter of receiving what is already made available. Jesus is our Sar Shalom, meaning that he brings peace between God and humanity. Because Jesus is our Sar Shalom, our Prince of Peace, it means that we can experience peace with one another. But thirdly, Jesus as our Sar Shalom means we can now experience peace within. We can experience an eternal peace in the deepest parts of our soul. Let me, let me ask you a question or a couple of questions. Would you say that right now your heart and your soul are at peace would you would you say that god's shalom as we've described his shalom would you say that god's shalom is your current state of heart and mind I know around the holidays, in general, holidays are a time to rejoice, right? They're a time to gather together, families reunite, as some of you are experiencing already. Holidays are a time to rejoice and give thanks for something specific. But in the same vein or in the same light, we also understand, and some of you understand all too well, that holidays are not always A time to rejoice. In fact, holidays are just a reminder that you can no longer gather with all your loved ones. Holidays are celebratory for some, but they're the most difficult time of year for others. And so perhaps right now, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, You're just trying to get through. Perhaps you are feeling restless in this season of life. Perhaps you are feeling the weight of the world upon your shoulders. Perhaps you are anxious about something or some things that are just taking you out in some way and and most definitely stealing your joy. I'm going to say something to you that you probably are not going to want to hear. And I have deliberated about this all week long, but I guess I'm going to say it. Anxiety is a choice. To worry is a choice. I know it doesn't always feel like it is. But it is. Otherwise, the Apostle Paul wouldn't say, for example, in Philippians 4, do not be anxious. What does he say? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, which is petition or requests, by everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, please understand me. I, I am not, I know that some circumstances are genuinely overwhelming and incredibly perplexing. I get it. In fact, I'm not even trying to say I get what you're going through, perhaps in this moment right now. And I know circumstances are beyond your understanding. And you're just in the middle of it right now. And you're just trying to hold on. You're just trying not to give up. And no doubt some of us here and here have been either blindsided by something unexpected or unforeseen. Or we just find ourselves in a situation that we feel powerless to do anything about. And so I'm not trying to minimize your situation at all, but I do want you to know that there is a way to navigate your hardship with peace. That God says there is a way to navigate through and experience his shalom, even in the midst of your crisis. Because Jesus is our Sar Shalom, because Jesus is our Prince of Peace, it means that peace within, a deeply rooted assurance and confidence is available to us all. And so when you feel anxious and when you are full of worry, not if, but when, because we all experience moments of anxiousness and worry and struggle, circumstances that, are, that we don't feel in control of, when we feel those things, this is our invitation. This is your invitation to turn to God in prayer. To turn to the one, to run to the one who not only knows you best, but cares about you the most. What does Hebrews 4.16 tells us? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to, to help in time of need. And the promise, as Paul makes clear to us, an all-consuming shalom will guard our heart and our mind. But there's something that you and I must understand. There's something you guys need to kind of accept or receive or acknowledge at least, is that we all have a part to play. Circumstances around you sometimes you have control of, or in the sense, you have control of how you respond. But there are many things in life that you cannot just control. Except for how you respond, and except for how you let it affect you. You see, we cannot expect to receive the promise of God unless we engage the process by which God leads us into The promise always follows the process. What is the process? What does Paul tell us? Don't be anxious, but in everything. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's a part we have to play, the part you and I play when life seems to kind of overwhelm us is turn to Jesus, turn to your Sar Shalom, turn to the one who can deeply instill a sense of shalom and peace that is not circumstantially given. But there's another thing that we can do that Paul tells us in the next couple of verses Paul tells us that there's a way in which we can have our hearts guarded and our emotions guarded. Listen to what he says in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So what is our role? What is your role? What is my role when we we experience trials of various kinds? What what is our response when the world seems to kind of implode in on us when we find ourselves in situations where it's like i have no idea what to do first we turn to jesus we run to him in prayer but secondly we see that as paul says we are called to think on the things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable That word for dwell or to think means to be consumed constantly. It means to think regularly. It means to to not depart from that. And yet that's how, how easy it is. There's a reason why Paul is saying, dwell constantly in this area, in this way. Because everything around you is going to want to pull you this direction and pull you this direction. And you guys know it. I don't need to convince you. You know when you're kind of in a a troubled state of mind, sometimes we're thinking clearly and sometimes we're thinking emotionally. And sometimes our emotions can get the best of us and they can take us all kinds of different directions and we start fabricating all kinds of stories, all sorts of scenarios, right? And they all seem so true. But they may not be. And so Paul says... Think on the things that are true. Not just what you think, but the things that you know to be true and put them in the practice. And then the promise is the God of peace will be, will you, be with you. I think it's important that we ask probing questions for our own sake. When we find ourselves struggling or when we find ourselves in a season of hardship, difficulty, confusion, we need to ask ourselves questions like, is my perception of reality accurate? Because from one moment to the next, it changes all the time. Is what I'm thinking actually true or even completely true? Am I seeing and interpreting my situation clearly or are my emotions clouding my judgment? The point is this, in order to experience God's shalom, we need to first think on the things that are true, and then secondly, we need to apply or put into practice what we know to be true. And I would say this, our issue or our problem has less than, well, it it depends on the person, right? Right? But in general, I think it comes down to this. It's not a matter of us not knowing what we ought to do. The real issue lies or is confined to this. We just don't want to do what we know what we ought to do. Because it's hard. And it's uncomfortable. And it's humbling. And it may not be the way I want to play God. And yet, Paul says, practice these things. You see, our struggle is often is that we don't want to apply what we already know to be true. Uh, Let me give you a parallel example. How many of you that have recently or at some time in your life went to physical therapy and you went home and did everything the physical therapist told you to do? (laughs) I know. One person. (laughs) You did it once. Okay, good job. You're probably ahead of the class in that sense. You understand I'm getting at, right? The physical therapist says this. Now, when you go home, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to put into practice. This is what I want you to do every single day, morning and evening, and then I'll see you again maybe five days later, right? And guess what you do? Five days later, you go in, it's like, Sorry, doctor. And there's usually some excuse, you know, that we offer. Like, oh, there's this thing came up and life is busy and full and I had this going on and stuff. The point is this. We oftentimes don't put into practice what we know what we ought to do. And therefore, guess what? The result is our recovery is that much slower. And to to get back to what we ever define as normal is that much longer. And I think the same principle applies in the struggles and the trials of life, and especially when we feel anxious about whatever situation, the fact is, you and I know the truth. The question is, will we put it into practice? Will we apply what we know? Will we put into practice when the scripture tells us very clearly, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God And he will exalt you at the proper time, not at your time, at the proper time. The proper time is the time that God deems fit. The proper time is, as we talked about before, the proper time is when God says, now the transforming work that I've allowed in your life is complete, and now I will exalt you. And we want the proper time to be like, now, come on, God, chop, chop, right? Chop, chop, lollipop. We want the proper time to be like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. The question is, if you are going through a difficult season of life, if you're contemplating and, and just navigating through some confusion in your life, are you first dwelling on the things that are true, commendable, and right? And pure? And secondly, are you putting into practice what you know to be true? I love the words that Jesus offers, his last words really, before he went to the cross in John 14. He says this Peace I leave you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give to you? You see, the peace that the, the, that the world offers, what Jesus is kind of getting at, isn't reliable. It's not trustworthy. It's always susceptible to all sorts of factors, right? You know, during the times of prosperity, nations seem to experience a temporary peace with one another, and life seems to be somewhat predictable, maybe even controllable for that matter. But when economies struggle, and when people are hungry, and when people are oppressed, guess what? Conflict arises very quickly. And the peace that the world provides isn't reliable. It doesn't last. But brothers and sisters, let me just say this decisively and matter-of-factly. Jesus offers a peace that is permanent and secure. Jesus offers you a peace that will last forever and that cannot be taken away. Jesus is a peace that offers a peace that settles deeply in your soul. We see that Jesus offers a peace where we can actually proclaim with confidence and with authenticity, it is well. With my soul, even though the circumstances and situation around me has not changed. The peace that Jesus offers is a peace that holds us and keeps us standing on solid ground, even when the circumstances swirling around us have little to do with a silent night. So I ask you have you received? God's shalom. Are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with one another? Are you experiencing peace within? May I say to you, based on the authority of Scripture and on the promises fulfilled through the prophets, that this peace is freely available to all who would receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus says, come all who are weary and full and heavy with burden and I will give you rest.